Well, brethren, God has shown me that we're going to face a lot of special trials just ahead. As a lot of you know, uh, we're nearing a tipping point in the work and talking with Mr. Soselka and others. We're having a lot of different Internet things come together. All of a sudden, they're beginning to produce results. And people in the world are beginning to respond to these things we're doing. The regular TV programs and the other things we're doing are coming together. Our mailing list now, as was announced, is up to about 530,000, way over half a million for the first time. So we're beginning to have more of an impact in the next year it's going to hit. But I feel because of other world events that you've been hearing about and other things that are happening in the financial area of Europe and, of course, the Middle East, of Russia and elsewhere, that they're going to have some big financial upsets even in the next several months. God is in charge, and we have to know that. But in my 63 years full-time in God's work, I've been able to develop a little bit of a sense of what's about to happen. And I really think we're going to have some unusual trials. Satan always strikes when we start to grow. He doesn't like that. And he always does. So there we're going to have some unusual things happen. And we really need to be ready for that, perhaps more than where most of us are. I want to have you turn with me, if you would, at this point, to 1 Peter chapter 4. I hope you're familiar with it, and you need to become very familiar with this part of the Bible because you're going to be living through it within the next few years and to some extent maybe within the next six months. Peter was inspired by God in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 13, to verse 12, to tell us, verse 12, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, a fiery trial, a terrible trial that's going to come on God's people. The fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice in spite of this terrible trial. Rejoice to the extent that you're partakers of Christ's sufferings that when His glory is revealed, you also may be glad with an exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. And we have to realize that even though we're reproached as the work gets bigger, we get better known. You crazy people, you keep different days. You kind of condemn the world as it is. You don't believe in same-sex marriage. So you're homophobes. They'll create all these terms. They try to frame the issue in a certain way that makes the truth look bad every single time. Just the way they come at it, as you know. I hope you begin to know that. That's very important to recognize how the media guides those things. Anything that's not liberal... Anything that's not what they call progressive. And frankly, the brethren, when you understand it, please read the paper with this thought in mind. When they say progressive, they normally mean regressive. They normally mean they're turning away further and further from God. They're regressive. But they call it progressive. They're progressing straight to hell is what they're doing. Straight to the lake of fire. So we need to realize that. Think about it. Analyze it. How they frame the issue. But we do need to be thankful if we get the message out more powerfully and we're persecuted, then rejoice. If you're reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. If we go full scale, if we go all out, each one of us to pray, to study, to meditate, to fast, to cry out to God, to say, Father, help us reach this sick world. They're so messed up. They need what we have to give. They desperately need it. Please give us the resources. Please open the doors we need. Please give us more ministers. Please give us more power. 
please begin to give us the gifts of your spirit that we can have an impact on this world. And we do have an impact. That's an honor to God. And that is going to bring persecution. It really is. But it's an honor to God, and we're going to be very, very blessed for doing that. Let none of, and none of you suffer, though, as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters. So don't bring on persecution by things that you do are bad. All of us do things that are bad, but be sure that you hold that down and you walk with God to the very fullest extent that you can and we're persecuted in the future for the right reason, not the wrong reason. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian because you have been walking with God and obeying Him, doing His work, let him not be ashamed. Don't ever be ashamed of God and of the message of Jesus Christ. But be, let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. Brethren, a sense of testing and trying is going to begin right here in this room for those of you who are sitting here and with God's true people all over the world. We're going to be tested as never before. We're going to be tried and tried again and again by things in our own lives, perhaps even mistakes we've made that are coming back on us. And the fact we're part of a little tiny church is preaching things the world hates. I know you don't all think of it that way, but Jesus said they hate me because they hate the Father. Well, they weren't out trying to kill him every day, but in their heart, they did hate what Christ stood for. They hated what he stood for, and he understood that. That's why he said, they don't personally hate all of you by knowing you, but they do hate what you stand for if you stand for God. They hate that. The, the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to God's law, neither indeed can be. That's what the Apostle Paul was inspired to write in Romans 8 and verse 7. The carnal mind resents a God that will tell it what to do. The carnal, human, selfish mind of man does not worship to worship a creator who would guide their sex life, guide their use of alcohol, guide their use of drugs, guide their use of all kinds of things. They don't want that kind of a God. Remember how the queers broke into St. Patrick's Cathedral way back in this demonstration several years ago. They threw condoms in the air. They cursed the priests. They damned God's name. They said, keep your cross off our crotch. Just nasty stuff going on and on. These perverts came in there and got away with it. And the good people, the nice people, frankly, are sometimes too nice. They just back off and do nothing. God is going to start right among his own people, testing and trying and judging. How much will you walk with God even in a time when it's not fun? How much will you walk with God even when it's not safe? Quote, unquote, because you don't fully trust God. How much will you walk with God when it's not easy? That's the test. Jesus knew that even among his own disciples. Peter said, I'll die before I'll deny you, remember? And Jesus said, no, before the cock crows twice, the rooster crows twice tomorrow morning, you're going to deny me three times. And remember how that happened? And somehow the men had been beating on him, apparently a hundred yards away or something, and somehow Peter and Christ looked up, and Jesus looked at Peter and Peter was convicted, and he went out and wept bitterly. He went out and wept bitterly. Why have I done this? I can't understand how I've given up Christ so easily. When you're scared, 
you do things you might not do otherwise. Deep down inside, we've got to decide in advance we are going to walk with God no matter what because we've been walking with God, talking with God, communing with God, interacting with God all day long, the best we can for years. Then when a severe trial comes, we will be able to obey even in times of stress. But Peter wasn't ready. Of course, the Holy Spirit was not yet given. After the Holy Spirit was given, he lifted up his voice and said, We must obey God rather than men. And he was killed. And apparently the entire group of the twelve apostles were all martyred, except for Judas, of course, who hanged himself, and for John, who may have lived on and wrote the book of Revelation. We're going to be tried and tested. Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, verse 18, where will the ungodly and sinner appear? If the righteous are scarcely saved, you're going to have to have a type of faith, of love, of contact with God that most of you do not have, brethren. I'm not just talking to you in this room, but brethren around the world, I know that. We regularly hear brethren in the church. Sometimes we, are, we don't check up on men and women normally, but if they're going to be ordained a deacon or a deaconess or an elder or get, get given some important positions in the work, we do check things out. And we find often some man's all ready to be ordained a deacon. He's not tithing. He's not even beginning to do anything. Sometimes we find he's a wife beater, still drinking heavily. We have that in God's church today. Not near, near as much as we had back in the 60s and 70s. I was superintendent of ministers and all over the direct work in Pasadena, the ministry there, the visiting program. I heard those things a lot. We had a lot more back then than we do now. But human nature has not left us. You all know that. Human nature has not left us. People are still watering things down in their personal lives. So if the righteous be saved, where will the ungodly and sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. He says over here in verse 5 of the next chapter, 1 Peter 5 now, verse 5, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. Be clothed with humility. Be deeply humble. Be willing to learn. Be willing to be corrected. Be willing to change. God tells you that. For God resists the proud. The people that are very proud of themselves are the hardest to get through to. They think they've already got it made. They won't listen to anything. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. What? That He, not that you exalt yourself, but He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. Be sober. Don't get drunk. And don't be spiritually drunk. And don't be laying in sin. Be alert. Be sober. Be vigilant. Alert. Constantly ready to bat battle to Satan the devil. To fight the good fight of faith. Because your adversary, the devil, who's your enemy? Not just human beings. Your ultimate enemy is Satan the devil. And he's powerful. I know I did. You realize it to the extent that I did later. Till Mr. Armstrong one time digressed. And I've used this sense even more than he did. But he was talking about Revelation, where in Revelation chapter 20, it shows how, you know, the whole world was taught by Christ and Satan was banished for 1,000 years. And suddenly, in the early verses of Revelation chapter 20, you see how Satan is loosed for a short time. He goes out to deceive the nations. 
And suddenly, obviously, when you read the whole context of it, it must have been millions, millions of people are suddenly turned aside. Here they had been under Christ's rule. They learned the whole way of God. And suddenly they turn immediately when Satan is loosed after 1,000 years of all of us under Christ, if we make it, ruling the world and Christ being on the earth, telling the people his way of life, teaching his way of life. You think they would never turn aside after that. Read Revelation again. How quickly people can turn aside when this powerful spirit being gets in there and starts whispering in their mind, whispering in their mind, twisting their mind around, guiding them the wrong way. Hundreds of thousands or millions joined this army that came down to destroy the city of Jerusalem and God has to send fire down from heaven and deal with them. That's powerful. That's powerful how quickly they were turned aside. If the righteous one is saved, where will the ungodly and sinner appear? So we have to humble ourselves and be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion. A roaring lion. Seeking him who may devour. Then God commands us here through Peter. Resist him. You're in a war, brethren. We're soldiers of Jesus Christ. Resist him. Steadfast in the faith. Knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So we've got to realize we are soldiers of Christ. We're war. We've got to fight to the end. We're to never give up and quit. And we're to be on fire for God. And I hope all of us can be. Perhaps a lot more than many of us are. Back in Isaiah 55, turn back there, brethren. Isaiah, if you would, chapter 55. And I'm going to read here in the passage. Again, I thought that's very familiar, but I want to apply it to this situation of the years coming up just ahead. Isaiah chapter 55 and beginning in verse 6. Seek the Lord. Seek the ever-living one. Seek God. Cry out to God. Fast. Pray. Father, help me. Give me your power. Give me your strength. Learn to go to, after God with every fiber of your being. Isaiah said, seek God. Don't just quietly pray a bedtime prayer. Seek God. While he may be found, the time is going to come when you'll be thrown in prison or it may be too late to pray very much privately. Do it while you can. Let the wicked forsake his way. If you're drinking too much, if you're gambling, if you're telling dirty stories, watching too much TV, some of our brethren get into pornography, you're into that, quit it, stop it. Just simply say, no way, this is the end. I'm getting out of this stuff. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon He'll forgive me. He'll forgive you all these things if we really turn to him with our whole heart. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways. We try to reason around what God says. We must not do that. The time has passed where we can play games. We must not play church. Some come to God's church, then they go home, and suddenly they put on their church face, and they're very friendly to people. Then they go home and they're the same old rat that they were before. And they're not really walking with God at all. I remember Big Sandy, I've told you this, but I found out there were several men who were beating their wives, literally beating their wives. And I got up in that big church. It was the biggest church that we had on earth at that particular time. We had about 1,500 people in the Big Sandy church at that point. And I told those men, I said, you're cowards. 
Why do you pick on these women who are not made as big and strong as you are? Why don't you repent? If you want some help, come forward and talk. And I, I say, some of you women, let us know. Call me and I'll deal with them. I'll go out and visit your husband personally. I said, I may bring Joe Camel with me as my, my second man. We used to call him second man. Joe Camel was on the Oakland Raiders World Championship football team, and he was on my athletic faculty. So he was six foot six and about 255 pounds. He was really big and strong. So I, got, I said, my brain, Joe Campbell, they said, get rough with me. They wouldn't get rough with him. But anyway, I would come. I would come. I had two or three women calling me after that sermon crying. They said, Mr. Meredith, we can't call you. Why? I want you to let. No, I'll talk to your husband, and I'll do what I can. Well, we're not afraid you get hurt, but, but he, we'll still get beat. It may be worse. It may be worse. But please pray for us. We, it is happening. These women called. They wouldn't even let me know who they were. In God's church, attending regularly, maybe employees of the college at Big Sandy. So we've got to realize that God's ways are not our ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. For as rain comes down from heaven... And do not return there, but water the earth and bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So my word that goes from my mouth shall not return to me void. God will back up his word. You've got to believe that. God will do what he has said he will do. God will keep his promises. If he has promised to heal and you have a definite specific disease that is, you know, not just some cut you ought to have bandaged or something. There are things you need to do. We know that. But if that's kind of disease, you've got to believe. We've been talking a lot about faith. We're going to be talking more about that in the next few weeks. That's going to be the theme of our winter weekend this year. So I'm not talking just on faith today. But I want all of you to get in an attitude of seeking God. God won't come after you necessarily. He will reach out. But he tells us again and again and again in the Bible. I'm not going to begin to start to commence to read all the places. But so many places he tells you to seek him. Now, how do you seek God? You know that. I've already said you seek God by really studying this book, feeding on this Bible, reading it carefully, marking it, going back over these passages and in your heart say, God, guide my mind as I study your word. Help me understand. Help me remember. Help me to really get it. Please help me to use it and to do what you say. Then meditate on the Word. Mark certain things in the Bible. Then go back over them again later. Then pray to God on your knees. Start every day with prayer. Get down on both knees before God. Unless you're crippled and you can't. Some people are crippled. But the Bible shows that. Get down on both knees. He said, lift up holy hands without wrath and doubting. As you can see, that's the way David prayed. That's the way Daniel prayed. Many examples of the Bible that I've used in that book, The Twelve Keys to Answered Prayer. The Bible shows that. If you can do that, get in front of a window, as I've said, where you can look up and see the sky and think of God up there. It helps you pray more just to see the sky literally up there. Sometimes when I'm praying in the morning, suddenly the, 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 uh, the sunshine breaks through and hits these beautiful trees in our big backyard and I can see them kind of sparkle with the sun hitting them. It's very inspiring as you're praying. Helps you to pray better, so to speak, than just praying in a dark closet. If you have to pray in a dark closet, do that. I remember coming to Ambassador College in 1949. 
and I'd get up and go to the shower on the men's third floor dorm there, and I went down to the shower in the morning, and I'd be the only one there. Everybody would be gone. I'd say, well, where is Herman Hay? Where's Raymond Cole? Where's Raymond McNair? Where's Burke McNair? Where's no one was there? Finally, I asked my roommate, Herman Hay, he said, well, they're all praying. What? None of the men were around. I couldn't find them. I found out they were scattered all over the building, somewhere down in the basement where there were no rooms. And Herman Hay had a little closet place at the far end. Others were praying some under lowly area over to one side. They had rooms and places all over. Marin and Raymond McNair had a room where the roof was slanting down near their room and they could get over where it was away from their room and be private. I guess one prayed in the room and the other prayed in this little cubby hole where it was private. Everyone had his place to pray. I thought, where in the world am I going to pray? I couldn't find a perfect place looking out at the sky. If you go down the Mayfair steps to the bottom, the, the, this basement turned right. Right at the right, there was a little broom closet. That's the only place I could find. So I found the broom closet, and I did finally put some newspapers in so my feet and my knees weren't directly with my trousers getting scarred and on the basement, on the concrete. But I had to play totally in the dark in the broom closet. But that's how I began to pray every morning. All the other guys were praying. It was a good thing. You start the day on your knees before Almighty God. Don't leave the house without praying. Don't start the day without praying. Cry out to God. Don't go out naked spiritually. If you go out and you haven't prayed, it's like you're walking out with no clothes on. You don't have a spiritual protection and help that you would have. Get up and pray. My practice, which is not perfect, I'm not perfect in any way. I'm a bad person. I'm a sinner. But I do want you to know that I try and I'm just telling you that that something I've learned that's good for me. I, I found it tried the other way, but it's better to get awake. When I first get a, wake up, I have cobwebs in my head and cobwebs in my eyes. So I, I show throw hot and cold water on my face and shave and comb my hair and wearing my robe. Then I go and pray. By then I'm awake. After I've shaved and combed my hair, I'm awake. Then I pray. But I don't eat anything. I don't even drink coffee. I'm already learning up after putting cold water on my face. So I go and pray. Then I eat later. If I have a big breakfast, then the, the, the blood is all down in my stomach, and I'm not as alert as I would be praying on an empty stomach. That's best for me. Some people think they've got to have coffee before they pray. Well, that's fine. Whatever works for you. But get up in the morning and pray. Start the day on your knees. You people here. And you brethren around the world, I guess the camera's back there recording this, but you people all around the earth, start the day on your knees. Seek God. Cry out to God. Study this book. Then meditate. Then pray on your knees and say, Father in heaven, guide me today. Lead me as your servant. I'm your servant. I'm your bond slave, the bond slave of Jesus Christ. Help me to honor you. Help me to overcome myself. Help me to overcome my human nature, the world, all the poles, the temptations, all this stuff. Help me to resist and overcome the wicked one, Satan the devil. He's trying to implant wrong thoughts in my mind. Please rebuke Satan. Help me, Father. Please help me. And cry out to God for that help. And bless your work. Lift us. 
help us have a far greater impact on this world to begin to pray like that every day as you start the day. And I'll tell you, it will help you if you'll learn to seek God. He does just suddenly grab you, but you've got to reach out for Him. And He tells you that again and again. Turn back, if you would, to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Here's one we sometimes use, or I have often used at the end of a sermon, but I'm going to use it a little bit earlier this time. Deuteronomy 4, and he tells about our fathers in ancient Israel that when you beget children in the land of Israel, you're going to come in there and you begin to beget children and, and, and your things, you know, kind of wind down and you think you're fat and sassy after a while and you take it easy and grandchildren and have grown old in the land and act corruptly and make a carved image and so on. I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that you will soon utterly perish. Don't let that happen. Don't let down as ancient Israel did. And verse 27, the Lord will scatter you among the peoples and you will be left few in number. And in the next several years, that is going to happen to our nation right here. I know God hasn't intervened powerfully. This terrible hurricane was, was hit the West Coast. It was, it was uh, uh, Mexico. It didn't hit us. But we're going to have a whole bunch of Katrinas. We're going to have a whole bunch of earthquakes. We're going to have disease epidemics such as this nation has ever, ever seen. And you brethren around the world, you and the nations of Israel, you're going to experience these things. He says, I will shake you and break you few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. Then finally you begin to wake up. There you will serve gods and you, they've neither seen or hear nor smell. But from there, verse 20, when you find you're in captivity, you're hurting Maybe your wife has been gang raped and beaten and you've been beaten to a pulp. You hear the cries of the people next door are beaten up in the cell like John McCain did. You know, Senator McCain heard that over and over. They take them out and beat them and heard them screaming and tortured. Is that something that went on somewhere in the Middle Ages? Oh, that went on just a few years ago with John McCain, many others. In the Korean War, wars we've had in Europe, and I know Mr. Uh, Dr. Uh, Torrance told us that even in the war, he was our, our registrar of the college in Big Sandy. And he was in the guest of the emperors, he said, of the Japanese prison camp. Our own men were beaten and tortured regularly. And he found that finally, at one point, our men, the American and British men, were eating one another. This happened, not back in the Dark Ages. When people get that hungry, your mind snaps. Don't think it can happen again. God says it will. Read Deuteronomy 28. At some point your mind snaps unless you have God's Spirit. So these things are going to happen. Finally you'll realize how bad you are and how much you need God. From there you will seek. Finally you'll wake up and you will seek the Lord your God and you will find Him when? If you have a sleepy time prayer, if you read one chapter of Psalms a day, no. If you pray with your whole being for 30 or 45 minutes a day at least, if you study the Bible regularly, say, God, teach me, guide me, help me. As you seek God, then you will find Him. So seek the Lord your God, and you will find Him if you seek Him when? With all your heart and with all your soul. You've got to seek God with your entire being and really mean it. God sees your heart. When you're in distress and all these things come upon you in the latter days. And the latter days are here, my brethren. 
We're in the beginning stages. We know that. But we're here in the latter days. So these things are going to happen and we've got to realize it. And God help us to seek God now and not wait until these things start to happen big time and we're scared to death and can't think straight. Notice back in Mark, the first chapter, if you would, the first chapter of the book of Mark now, brethren. Mark chapter 1. Here's the perfect example of Jesus Christ. How did Jesus Christ start the day? Again, most of you know this. I hope you should. But in Mark chapter 1, it says in verse 35, Now in the morning, having risen a long while before light. So he got up while it was yet dark. He went out, departed to a solitary place. And there he prayed early in the morning before anything else got in his way. Christ, the Son of the living God himself, was in the flesh. He was tempted in all points like as we are. He then had to get down on his knees early in the morning and pray before anything could start to interrupt his walk with God. He prayed early in the morning. That was his habit. That's what he did. Back in Psalm 55, it tells David, said, Evening, morning, and at noon I will seek you, as you know. And we've told you before in Daniel chapter 6, when he was being tempted by God, tempted him as going to be thrown in a lion's den. He sought God three times regularly on his knees, as was his habit. So this is the way the man of God reacted. And we've got to do the same thing. Jesus began to seek God first thing in the morning. Let's turn to that example, if you would, in Daniel. Turn to Daniel chapter 6, brethren. Daniel chapter 6 and verse... Uh, he, they wrote this, the king wrote this decree, verse uh, 20, or verse 7, a firm decree that whoever petitions any god of man for 30 days, for except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. These governors and satraps around the king were so jealous, they were afraid that Daniel was going to get be made the executive vice president, so to speak. It really upset them. They went after him. They said, we won't get him on anything but his religion. So they tried to get him on his religion, and they got this decree signed before the king realized what he was signing. And so then he had to finally do it. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree, and verse 10, Daniel 6, verse 10. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, what did he do? Was he scared to death? He had seen men probably have that faith. They lived in that kind of society. He may have heard men screaming with their whole being as they were torn to pieces by lions. I don't think that was that unusual. He knew it was ahead. He went quietly to his upper room in his house. He went home for noon, his siesta, as they did in that part of the world, and he prayed to God. He didn't have a bunch of white wine and special food. He prayed to God, as his custom was. He prayed three times a day. And prayed and gave thanks. He prayed and thanked God, worshiped God. Thank you, Father, for my life. Thank you that I can know you. Thank you for my family. Thank you for everything you've given. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your church. We all should thank God constantly every day. That's part of praying to God. He thanked God before his God, as was his custom since early days. So they found him doing that. And the king allowed him, he had to, to be thrown to the lion's den. And we know that God confused the lions, turned them aside, and supernaturally protected, protected his servant Daniel. 
which astonished these men. They didn't know about the real God. All the people running up and down Providence out here, they don't know that God. Here's a little tiny group of human beings that are sitting in this room that do know God. Most of you know God. Some of you don't. But most of you here know God. You need to learn even closer to walk with God fervently and seek God every day in that way. So you will have this kind of faith when this kind of thing begins to happen because you have already been seeking God and walking with God. Turn back to Psalm 51 now, brethren. The book of Psalms at this point, and I want to turn at this point to Psalm 51. Most of you know this chapter, I hope. I hope you will. But it's not boring, it's powerful. When you really understand it, it's one of the most powerful and meaningful prayers in the whole Bible. Here's David's prayer after his sin with Bathsheba. He had killed Uriah. He committed murder on this man. And then he took that man's wife as his wife. And God was not pleased. God was terribly displeased. Here was a man who loved God normally, sought God. The Holy Spirit was not given in the same way as it is today. We have to understand that. But nevertheless, he knew better and he did it anyway. He cried out to God. Verse 1, Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. He appeals to God's mercy, and you need to when you sin. I need to when I sin. Father, everyone sins. I'm sorry. I made a horrible mistake. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquities and cleanse me from my sin. He beseeched God to clean him up and scrub him out. Do you pray, Father, clean me up and scrub me out? Clean up and scrub out all of us. We need it, every one of us. Most of us don't do that kind of thing. We know we've had God's Spirit. And I tell the brethren, I tell you, many of our top ministers don't do those things near as much as was done 30 to 50 years ago, not because we're better. I hope we're better. We've had more testing and all that, but also we're old. I can't chase any women because I, I can hardly walk, so I don't chase anybody anymore. I guess you could figure that out. So I, I think the brethren around the office know I'll, when I'm walking out in the evening, I'll hold on to Mr. Davis' arm, and I don't hold hands with other men. I hold under their wrist. And sometimes Mr. Davis is right, right there, and my secretary, my loving, my friend, as I've adopted her, Cheryl and I both, as, as a daughter, and I'll walk out with her. But I, don't, I won't hold hands with, with Monica. I, I, I hold her wrist. I'm wrist-holding. <laughs> but at age 85, it's, it's not romantic, believe me. She's helping an old man barely make it to the car. So I hope you understand that. Clean us up, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. We still have vanity, jealousy, lust, and greed, all of us. We have much to repent of, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, in other words, in an attitude of sin, not that that was wrong to have a child, but the whole atmosphere was sinful in the human flesh, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, your desire, you desire truth in the inward parts. And David did not have that. He allowed his mind to dwell on this woman. He'd seen her bathing naked just below his balcony. She was partly responsible. I don't think she was stupid. She probably knew better. Here was David's right up here on this balcony. Nevertheless, he should not have done that. Should never have done that. He asked him to 
Clean him up. Clean up his mind. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me here to joy, joy and gladness, that the bones which you've broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. He cried out to God again and again. It was awful. He knew that. Blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart. Have you ever asked God for that? I have. I hope you will. I don't want to give you, brethren, the impression I've been out doing horrible things physically. I've been too old for many years. But nevertheless, I have human nature. So we all have to ask God and really mean it. And you young men, you have the mental and emotional capacity and physical capacity to do much more evil as I did when I was younger. And you better cry out to God to clean you up and scrub you out and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. He did have God's Spirit. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, which he did by teaching, by example, by leading the whole nation God's ways. And he's going to be the very one to lead the whole nation of Israel, all 12 tribes, when Christ comes back. This is a man who made one big sin. And later on, it says in the Bible that only, only in the matter of Uriah the Hittite, that one time David slipped up, and he slipped up big. But he repented big, so to speak. And God understood. Deliver me from blood guiltiness. He killed Uriah. O God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing of your righteousness, which David did. He had a... Some kind of a instrument uh, he was plucking on a guitar or something and he was very good at it apparently he had beautiful voice of that tremendous musician wrote all these songs called psalms he was a musician he cried out to god sang praises to god danced when they first brought the ark into jerusalem praised and jumped and just worshiped god with his whole being great god of israel he was thanking and praising god as he came in my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Eternal, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice. God isn't after many people's sacrifices. That wasn't even back then. For I give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. You and I can have that when we let down. We'd better learn to seek God to get it. A broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, these, O oh God, you will not despise. So learn to cry out to God. Please grant me real repentance, Father, such as I've never experienced before. Shake me. Work with me. Fashion me. Mold me in a way I've never been dealt with before. Help me to reflect Jesus Christ. If you pray to God that way and you mean it, God will hear that kind of prayer. You know He will because He is God. Turn back to Psalm 32. Psalm 32 now, brethren, and this is a wonderful psalm. There are many, many psalms like this. I'd like to read half the book of Psalms. When you're thinking about praying, remember the book of Psalms is one of the best parts of the Bible to read. Most of them are simply the prayers of David. And David, believe me, had a man was a man after God's own heart. When you read that, you can see how you can take all your troubles to God. Every one of them, lay them out. Father, clean me up, scrub me out, help me get over this, help me get over this. I know you're there. 
I know you'll never leave me. You'll never forsake me. You are my God. You are my Father. You are my rock. You'll never turn away. You're powerful. You are my rock. You are my refuge. Your voice breaks the cedars as the thunder of God goes across the plains. And you hear that. God's voice is heard across the mighty waters. He says that many times. I know one of the most powerful storms I've ever experienced was my wife, Margie, and I were over in Lugano, Switzerland. And the, one of our Jewish members in the, in the college in, uh, at the work there in uh, Brickett Wood in Britain, they, her, his father owned the biggest jewelry store in, in uh, London. And they had a beautiful flat overlooking Lake Lugano. So Margie and I went down there. We were sent to a couple times a year to, to preach as we had a monthly schedule to just preach. One of the other of us from the college in, uh, in Geneva. So we paid the difference. We just simply would put that, have the bookkeeper take that charge just for the difference in the whole trip between Geneva and Lugano. And then that work paid the way coming and back going as usual. So we paid our way. But we'd go to that beautiful flat for two or three or four days in a row, maybe once a year, two or three times. It was tremendous, gorgeous song, a beautiful lake up in the high mountains, no snow-capped mountains. And they had a powerful storm one time when we were there. And we were on the balcony of this flat or apartment, we'd say in America, overlooking Lake Lugano. And the mountains were around, the clouds came down, and the storm began to come up powerfully. And the, the, the uh, thunder and the lightning were as powerful as I've ever seen in my life, except at Big Sandy. And one way more powerful simply because of the location. It echoed all around these mountains. The powerful thunder. Boom, boom, boom. All around coming back to the mountains. God's voice. The voice of your God. The voice of your Father. The voice of my Father. Nothing like it. God, his God's servant David exalted in that power. We want to worship God, adore God, say, God, your voice is powerful. Nothing can stay your hand. You're the most powerful being in the universe. Thank you. We praise you. We worship you. We lift you. You are a rock. You are a refuge. You will take care of us. Nothing can stop you if we put our trust in you. David prayed that way over and over. Psalm 32, verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. God will forgive you if you'll turn to him like David did. Whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. See, David had troubles. He groaned all the day long. He hurt and hurt and hurt. I could go around feeling for myself and never get up here. I try not to do that. Even today as I was preparing the sermon, I dropped this little, uh, well, I, I don't know if I have it here or not to show you, but little card. And yeah, with the thing, it fell down. And I tried to reach over by the pad and my, my had my left hand holding, right hand holding where I was. And my left hand won't work. It was shaking. I literally couldn't get hold of it. So many times I'm trying to dress to go to church or work, and I can't do it. I can start getting mad, as I used to do when I was first converted and before I was converted. Well, why did this thing work? It hit something. I have to learn not to do that. God has allowed me to have a stroke. All day long, every day, I have to fight with that, fight with that. But I try not to fight with it. I am just do the best I can. He'll take care of me. He is my rock and my refuge. I have a wonderful little team of young men living with me now. My son, Jonathan, and uh, 
and uh, my adopted son, as he is at the moment, Ryan Dawson. I have Superman, if you've seen him with his Superman glasses, we call him Superman. So he helps me and cooks for my breakfast, and when John is home, he may cook at dinner, but they take care of me, and I'm okay. But I have to fight these things all day long. Each of us has his cross to bear. But I'm still here, and I'm going to serve God as long as I have my being, as long as God will let me. But we've got to know that God will take care of us, and he'll never give up on us. So it said, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning. I guess that's where I was. <laughs> David had problems. He was groaning. Oh, God, what's wrong? He had all these sicknesses. Sometimes he had wounds. May have turned to gangrene sometimes. For day and night your hand is heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. He knew he'd done wrong certain times. He loved fighting too much, David said. I mean, God said. He didn't let David build a, build a temple. He said, you like fighting too much. You like blood too much. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgression to the eternal. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin when he cried out to God. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you. If you know that God is there, that God is your Father, that you can talk to Him, tell Him everything. Christ was tempted at all points like as we are. He had the temptation of violence. He had the temptation of sex. He had the temptation of vanity, jealousy, lust, and greed in every way. He's sitting at the Father's right hand. He lived for 33 and a half years in the human flesh. He really does understand it all. And God the Father does certainly in principle Jesus even more. He experienced it. So they're going to hear you. You forgave the iniquity of my sin. And for this cause everyone who is godly, then you'll learn to talk to God, shall pray to you. We pray to God. We talk to God. We share our lives with God. We share our plans, our hopes and dreams with God. We share our sorrow, our groaning within ourselves of things we have to fight. So anyway, in a time when you may be found, surely in a flood of great waters they shall not come near you. You are my hiding place. We need to think of that. You need just somewhere to go and hide. You hide in the arms of God. That's the only place I can hide. My parents are dead. My wives are dead. I have to hide in the arms of God. And you do too. Every one of us at some point will be all alone before God and we will be tempted. We will be tested. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Don't be like a horse or a mule. Be all stubborn and don't want to understand. Argue with God. Have your own attitude all the time. He says, Many sorrows shall be to the wicked. But he who trusts, get this, brethren, he who trusts in the eternal, mercy shall surround him. Mercy shall surround you. Mercy shall surround me. If we put our trust in God, we are know you're there, Father. We know you're loving. We know you're righteous. We believe in God. He who trusts in God, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the eternal and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. That's a little sliver of David's attitude 
of the way to pray to God. He was a wonderful example of praying to God. Now we go to back to Deuteronomy again, this time chapter 9. Deuteronomy, if you would, brethren, and let's turn, if you would, to chapter 9 of the book of Deuteronomy. Here was another great man of God. We've talked about David. We've talked about Daniel. And notice here is the great servant of God, Moses, a type of Christ. And it tells in this chapter 9 how Moses was given the Ten Commandments here at verse 9. And he went up and he fasted 40 days and nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water. Nothing for 40 days. Then a few days or a few weeks later, he goes back up again. And he said in verse 17, Then I took the two tablets and threw them out of my hands when he came down and find them into apostasy and some kind of sexual orgy and broke them before your eyes. He was furious. And God didn't get mad at him. He knew these people had simply rebelled against God, didn't deserve these tablets. Then he says, verse 18, Deuteronomy 9, verse 18, I fell down before the ever-living one as at the first, just as he did the first time, 40 days and 40 nights, I neither ate bread nor drank water. You see, for 80 days, separated by a few weeks, he cried out to God, begged God to forgive his people. He loved them. He must have been begging God over and over, have mercy, God, have mercy, clean us up, scrub us out, help us. I neither ate bread nor drank water because of all your sin which you committed and doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord to provoke it for anger. For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure with which the Lord was angry with you to destroy you. But the Eternal listened to me at that time also. God is merciful when Daniel, when I mean Moses this time cried out to him, he heard. And the Lord was very angry with Aaron. Remember, Aaron went along with the people and built this idol and formed this idol. And he said, I threw this gold into the fire and out popped this idol. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> Great miracle. No, he fashioned and molded that idol. He, he didn't fool. He didn't fool Moses. Moses was his own brother. He said, what kind of stuff is this story you're telling? An idol popped out. The Lord was very angry with Aaron and would have destroyed him. So I prayed for Aaron also at that time. And I took your cap and crushed it and burned it and got rid of it and so on. And then he says in verse 24, You have been rebelling against the Lord from the day that I knew you. The whole nation had this hard head. Thus I prostrated myself. Brethren, at this point he wasn't lifting up his hands. He simply fell on his face. Moses was falling on his face saying, Father, we're rotten. Please forgive us. Have mercy upon us. I prostrated myself before the eternal and, and cried out to God. Forty days and nights I kept prostrating myself. Over and over he fell himself flat on his face over and over because the eternal had said he would destroy you. Moses kept crying out. Moses was seeking God. He didn't just pray a quiet prayer once and say, well, God will take care of it. No, he knew God was furious with these people, so he kept at it, kept at it, kept prostrating himself, begged God over and over, have mercy. Therefore, I prayed to the Lord, verse 26, and said, O eternal God, do not destroy your people and your inheritance, whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He knew how God deeply appreciated the attitude of those men and cried out to God that way many times. Do not look on the stubbornness of this people or on their wickedness or on their sin. 
So he cried out to God, prostrating himself over and over for 40 days and 40 nights. Have you ever prayed that way? I haven't. For 80 days? None of us have done that, I'm sure. Moses did do that. Jesus did do that. Many of God's servants did do that. And it's possible we don't have to always do it in that same dramatic way, but we'd better get pretty close to it sometimes and cry out to God with our entire being and really learn from these examples and picture yourself being there. Picture yourself riding with Abraham and going after these kings that assaulted and kidnapped Lot. Picture David and running with David and his army. They weren't riding on horses most of the time. They were running in those days. And God had to be with them and deliver them from armies that were much bigger than they were. They cried out to God for help. And he gave that help to them again and again. And their lives were at stake. If he was not the Lord God of the armies of Israel, they would have been exterminated. They knew that. But God was with them because they cried out to God. God was very, very real to them. Turn now to Luke 22, if you would, brethren. Turn to Luke chapter 22, and here I want to read something again that we've used many times, but Luke chapter 22, I'm going to begin in verse uh, 39. Here Christ, near the end of his life, was with his apostles, and coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives, as was the custom to do, and his disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And brethren, you need to all pray that. Sometimes you start out wanting to do the right thing, and bang, something will come out of the, out of the blue, so to speak, and hit you, and you'll get weak, and you'll take a smoke, or you'll drink too much, or you'll cuss, or you'll get mad at your wife, or you'll allow terrible, lustful thoughts or thoughts of anger to come in your mind, I'll hit him, I'll break him in two, and these thoughts will come in your mind, you men especially. You've got to fight those thoughts. You've got to fight those thoughts. David had to do that. Moses had to do that. Daniel had to do that. And certainly Jesus did. So coming out, he went out, and when he came to the place, he said, pray. He cried out to them, warned them, these soldiers are coming after me. You guys are going to get scared. Ask God that you may not enter temptation. He was withdrawn from them a stone's throw. He didn't hide. You don't have to hide from people. You're not to show off to them. But once in a while, others will know that you're praying. Be sure you're not just praying to impress them. But Jesus would just get over 50 or 100 yards behind some bushes. They knew what he was doing. He was over there praying to God. Often he would take Peter, James, and John with him as three closest apostles. And they'd pray with him, no doubt. And he knelt down and he prayed. How did he pray? He sought God. Jesus knew how to seek the Father. He didn't take the Father for granted. He was constantly seeking God, studying, praying, crying out for God's help in a powerful way, a passionate way. Don't be afraid of passion. Don't be afraid of passion. If you use passion the right way, we're not talking about sexual passion. We're talking about emotional passion to cry out for something. And God wants us to be passionate. Mr. Herbert Armstrong's, one of his favorite verses on prayer was back in Hosea chapter 7, verse 14, where he says, God was not hearing his people because they did. The Moffat translation has it. They do not put their hearts in their prayers. 
And Mr. Armstrong said this a number of times. He said, I think that's one of the main problems of God's people today. They pray, but they don't get passionate about it. They don't put their hearts in their prayers. Do you actually cry to God with your whole being? You mean it. You put your heart in your prayer. You cry out to God. You seek God. You're saying, God, you're there. Help me. Show me. Make yourself even more real to me. Please help me get over this thing. Help me to be drawn closer to you. Rebuke and chasten me. Ask God to do that. God tells us that, that we should pray for that. But in your mercy, rebuke and chasten me as you need to. In your mercy, clean me up. Scrub me out. Help me, Father, to be the right person I should be. I can't do it. I've got to have your help. And so he went down and prayed. He says, Father, if it is your will, please take this cup. Often it's used as a cup of poison, you know. And so they were talking about that kind of of an assassination to make you drink a cup of poison. He was going to have to go through that crucifixion, a horrible, slow, agonizing kind of a death. Please take this from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. If there's any way around it, Father, any way around it, he must have prayed it along that line many different words over and over again. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. God sent an angel. He may have prayed that way for 30 or 40 minutes each time. We don't know. It wasn't some quickie prayer. Notice verse 44. Easy to remember, Luke twenty-two forty-four. Being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. Again, he cried out to God. He prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Some of the commentaries have mentioned that men in extreme agony have been found when they were scared to death and they were at the North Pole or somewhere and were trying to escape a polar bear or they were in a tremendous stress. Blood would literally seep from the blood that vessels would break and go in the, into the sweat ducts and they would sweat blood. Jesus cried out so passionately that he sweat blood. And I think that's where this expression comes from. He sweat blood. He was crying out to God with that kind of passion. He put his heart in his prayers to seek God. Yet when he came down from out from there, from the place he'd been praying back in the woods, he came to his disciples, the rest of them, and found them sleeping. Then he said, Why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. And I say to you, the church of God, Rise and pray that you enter not into temptation. We've all got to do that better, brethren. Let's not take God for granted. Let's not take his work for granted. Are you giving of yourself every way you can to help the work of God? Are you giving of resources? I don't mean the older people to give your whole life savings. I'm just talking about giving what you can do heartfeltly. Are you giving of your time, your energy to help your brethren? Are you striving with all your being to overcome? Are you striving with all your being to overcome your selfishness, your vanity, your lust and greed, all these things, and crying out to God for help to do that? Each of us needs to think, what are my talents? What is my strength? What can I do better? As the bond slaves of the living God, why am I not doing better? Perhaps part of it is selfishness. Analyze it and do your part. Now, then... At this point, I want to go back to Matthew again. 
Jesus certainly showed us in here to how to seek God. But going back to Matthew again, I'm breaking off the main theme, but throughout the Bible you see this. It has to do with prayer. It has to do with answered prayer. Turn to Matthew at this point, Matthew 6, verse 9. It gives the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, when you talk to God, look up to the heavens if you can. He's not some human. He's your Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. You hallow and praise His name. You start out the prayer hallowing His name. Worship again. Attitude of worship. Your kingdom come. Pray for God's kingdom to come. His government to come to this earth. Boy, this world needs the government of God so much. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Provide our needs. Not necessarily our needs for the next 30 years. Some people have millions of dollars and all kinds of stuff. They just sit on it. They don't give much of it ever to God at all. They're not excited about the work of God. Ask God for your daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We're to beseech God, please deliver us from Satan. Please, Father, deliver us from the evil one. And For yours is the kingdom. You start the prayer by worshiping God, by thanking God, hallowing God's name at the end. For yours is the kingdom. Yours is the total government, the right way of life. Yours is the power. You have the supreme power in all the universe. Your voice shakes the earth, the thunders of God. Yours is the glory, the magnificent sunset and the sunrise, the whole cosmos, the sun, the moon, the stars, everything. Yours is the glory forever. Amen. Then Jesus continued right then. Get this part of it. Ties in with prayer several times. For it is your father. For if you forgive men, get it. For if you, and I mean all of you in this room, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will forgive you. If God's going to hear your prayers, you have got to learn to forgive others. Don't sit around judging them. Don't sit around trying to get even. Don't do that. Pray to God to get rid of all those thoughts of anger and revenge and upset at them. You need His help. You can't do it of yourself. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. He won't do it. He won't hear your prayers. He won't forgive your sins if you don't forgive others from your heart. So, brethren, please learn to do that. That's part of seeking God. That's part of walking with God. That's part of praying in a way that your prayers will be answered. And now, brethren, turn to Hebrews, the fifth chapter, if you would. Hebrews chapter 5. And this is a very, very important thing, corroborating what we just got through reading a while ago. Turn to Hebrews, uh, the fifth chapter, and uh, catch this in my notes here. Hebrews 5, and beginning in verse uh, 4. Here he says about Christ, No man takes this honor to himself to be a priest of God or a minister of God today. You don't push yourself into the ministry. He's warning people, don't do that. No man takes this honor, but he who is called by God as Aaron was. So Christ also did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, You are my son. Today have I begotten you. 
as he also says in another place, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, who, this Christ, in the days of his flesh, when he was here on earth as a human being, when he had offered up prayers, how, what kind of prayers, and supplications means continual praying and fasting and crying out. He offered up prayers and supplications, how? With vehement cries, literally yelling at God, Father, help me! Vehement cries and tears. He had tears in his eyes, was shaking sometimes. Asking, said, he must have thought. I've often used this example, but I, I've tried to think and picture it, pray about it myself. How did he pray? He must have told God, Father, I've got to make it. I'm the only one that is qualified to pay for the sins of all these people. You got to have all this human nature. Here he was, a 30 to 33-year-old young man with all the passions and lusts and vanities. When those men grabbed him and started to throw him off the brow of the hill at the beginning of his ministry, I'll bet the thought went through his mind at least, started and said, well, I'll just grab one of them, you know. And, and I guess being a former boxer growing up in a place where I did, that would have been my thought. And, and, and like uh, Winston Churchill said, remember he kept the pistol. He said, if the Germans come in, I can't, I can't kill them all, but I can take one or two with me. He was an old man, but he, he was a character. He said, I can take one or two with me, but that would be the normal masculine thing for a young man to think. Jesus said, help me. He cried out with vehement cries and tears. And he saw these beautiful girls all over Palestine. And they must have been beautiful. The wheat germ was in the wheat back in those days. And they had good health and good figures and good everything. And he had to fight that, fight that, fight that, as most young men do today. I know young, many young men came to me when I was Ben's guidance counselor in Ambassador College for years, indirectly at least for decades. And they'd tell me all these problems they had with girls and how pretty they were and their lusts. And I'd say, well, I didn't give them perfect. I'm not giving you the whole thing. I talked to them more than that. But I'd sometimes tell them they should run at least a couple of laps and go take a cold shower <laughs> and then keep busy. Don't let your mind wander on that. But he cried out to ask God's help to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. He cried out with vehement cries, Help me, help me! Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected in the flesh, God guided him to do the right thing in every way. He became the author of eternal salvation to all who what? It said they believe in the Lord, all who obeyed him. Faith without works is dead. You must obey God. You show your faith by the way you live, by obeying God and by walking with God and doing what God says. Brethren, I'd like to ask you and all you brethren around the world in this thing of prayer and these things are coming up at the family weekend, I'd like to ask you to read carefully. Mr. Weston mentions this in his report from Britain that would be published. We get the update from there. I don't think you all get it, but he mentioned his very kind report that, that this latest Living Church News was one of the best we've ever published and encourage everyone in Britain in that area to read it carefully. It has an ugly old man on the front. It's pretty good except for that, but there's a, there's a weird old looking old man from Missouri on the front of, the, of it. But uh, otherwise, read what's in there. There's an article on prayer, an article on faith, several articles like that on that particular issue. But study that. That's one of the best ones we've ever put out. The messages in that Living Church News. 
And then I'd like to ask all of you to read my booklet, 12 Keys, 12 Keys to Answered Prayer. And it spells out the position of prayer, how long you ought to pray. It analyzes the Lord's Prayer, all these things more thoroughly than I can do here. Study that booklet from time to time. It's a manual. Study it to learn how to pray. Get that booklet. Study it. If you don't have it, write us. Not box 111, we used to say, but box 3800, I guess, where we are now. But you can all know where to get that booklet. We may have it right out here on the booklet table. But study those two things about prayer. Begin to bone up on prayer. Begin to bone up on seeking God. And now, brethren, turn to chapter 29 of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 29, if you would. The book of Jeremiah, chapter 29. And here he is describing how they've been off for 70 years in the destruction of Jerusalem. And he says in verse 10, Jeremiah 29, verse 10, Thus says the Eternal, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, Remember, they were to be taken over there as slaves, the Israelites, for their sin. I will visit you and perform my good work in you and cause you to return to this place. I'll bring you back. For I know the thoughts that I think of you. God's not just mad at people. He wants us to learn lessons. He wants you to learn lessons. Every one of you in this room, learn lessons. He wants me to learn lessons. Help us to learn lessons. I know the thoughts I want of you. I want you in my kingdom. I want you in my family. I want you to bear my name. I want you to be, but I've got to be sure you'll use this power the right way. I'm going to test you and test you and test you and fashion you and mold you until I know and know that I know that you will use the power the right way. And I want to give you that power. I've made you in my image to become my sons. So I know the thoughts I think of you to give you a future of hope. Then, verse 12, you will call upon me and go and pray to me. Yes, you're to pray to God all the time. Mr. Armstrong said to me a number of times, and a few of us in public, he never bragged about it. Just in a, If you got to know him terribly and spent thousands of hours with him, once in a while they'd mention He said, when I'm in a trial, I'll sometimes pray 30 to 60 times a day. He said, I may pray three to five times a day on my knees, but all day long I'm praying to God, God, help me here, God, me there. I may pray 30 to 60 times a day. He said, you'll pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me. Yes, brethren, we've got to learn to seek God. He doesn't just make us come to him. You've got to do your part. Study, pray, meditate, cry out to God fast. Use your full strength. Then ask God for the extra strength and seek God. Seek his help. Seek me, he says. And when you search for me with all your heart, it says back in Deuteronomy 4, all your heart and all your soul. I will be found by you. You see, if you search that way with all your heart and all your soul, then you will be found by me. And I will bring you back from your captivity. And brethren, God will bring our people back when they learn that lesson. But you're called out now. You should not have to go into concentration camp. You should not have to suffer horrible beatings or humiliations like that. You should seek God now before it happens so you can be taken to a place of safety and you could be the cream of the crop, so to speak, among the very first ones that God brings into his kingdom, his kings and priests, because you have learned to seek God now with all your heart and with all your soul.